Thank you, Pastor Matt, for leading us in worship as we worship our awesome God through singing. As we continue on in our sermon series in the Minor Prophets, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 to chapter 3, verse 5. And we're going to continue on looking at what God has to say and how God has revealed himself to us through his word and what that means for us. You know, there's a blatant example in our world right now of people who are crying out to God and wondering where he is. All they see in, in this world is injustice. And, and, they, and then they, they see proof in their own minds that God just doesn't simply care. It's, it's not a different question than any other question that people have been asking throughout history. These are questions that the people of God have often asked themselves. God, where are you? Where is the God of justice? They have cried this out to him to answer. It's easy not to live in this world and be affected by cynicism. It's, it's not easy to live in this world and to see all that is going on around us and, and not ask those same cynical questions that the people of God are asking of God right here in verse 17 of chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Malachi, and I'll be starting in verse 17 of chapter 2, and it says this. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. In verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. In verse uh, in verse 17 of chapter 2, we see this amazing court scene. In Malachi, the people bring God to court, and the verses that follow are God's response to the people's complaints about injustice that they see in this world around them, and how they see God favoring all of these evil people. So in verses 17, we see that the people charge God with indifference. They're asking, where is the God of justice? If God, you are God of justice, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? And I know that when we look in this world around us, we see a lot of injustice. 
We see a lot of people asking the very same questions. God, where are you? Where is the God of justice? How can you not see what is happening in the South and the murder of a man and not cry out in those same things? How can you not look and see how looters are looting mom and pop shops of of men and women who've worked their whole lives for doing things and not cry out for justice? How can you not look in this world and see examples upon examples of injustice and not cry out for God? God, where are you? But is it wrong to ask, where is God during times of injustice? And right off the bat in verse 17, God says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. He, he, he begins to turn the tables. No longer is he being the defender. He is now the prosecutor, and he begins to prosecute his people. You have wearied them, they say. There's, there's a major danger in our world around us when we begin to just see the world and see what is happening and not bring it through the grid of the word of God and how God has, has revealed himself to us. In the books of, of the Bible, like Job and Psalms, you can see this refreshingly openness uh, to this problem that people have with God delaying his judgment. But the voices that we're hearing here in Malachi are far more than, God, when are you going to pour out your judgment on these people? The voices that we are hearing in Malachi are cynical voices of God of the people of God saying God is not a God of justice. They're not questioning the delay of God's justice. They're questioning if God does even care at all. And that's why God becomes out of this gate and he's so harsh with his people. You have wearied me, they say. You know, in today's context, it would be like saying God was happy to see George Floyd being murdered by that man. That God was happy with one who was created in the image of God being treated as nothing. This is far more than asking why God is allowing all these things, but bringing it even a step closer. The questions that the people are asking are an inversion of good and evil with God on the wrong side. It's really a surprise to see God's people bringing it this far. And this is why God opens up his statement in verse 17 with how he does. This is an explicit rejection of who God is, especially when we think about how God has revealed himself in Deuteronomy 18.12, which says, For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. When the people come and say, Whoever, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and delights in them, they are saying something that's contrary to how God has revealed himself to them. It is contrary to how God has treated them. But they still ask, where is the God of justice? When we hear a people crying out to God for justice, this isn't new. And we've, hear, we've often heard our own complaints ourselves in our own hearts, in our own minds. It's almost like we have seen, said the same things that we hear in Malachi's day. The, the people in Malachi's day are, are challenging Malachi. 
That it's like they're saying, we like what you have to say about a God who is a God of justice. And we like what we have to say about his faithful love to us. But what about the problem of evil in our world? You know, what's the point of serving a God who can't or won't do anything about it? You know, we've all heard people say things like this. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably have said them ourselves in our own minds or out of our own mouths. How could you not have a sense that something is wrong in this world when we see all that is happening? We long, we long desperately for justice and find it very tempting to blame God for its absence. If such a powerful and holy God really exists, shouldn't he act to set things straight? If God doesn't act against injustice and wickedness, what use is he? You know, these questions are very powerful when they flow from our own personal experiences. Perhaps you have been hurt and and wronged by someone who seems to be getting away with his or her crime. You have been sinned against profoundly, yet you cannot get anyone to listen to your case. The person who abused you is believed and honored while your name is and fortunes are dragged to the mud. Sometimes, sometimes this even happens in the church. Where is God in that situation? Why doesn't he intervene to set the record straight? And the people have worn out God with their accusations that he doesn't love them and that he encourages evil. They have lost sight of who he is. So God takes the next few verses to remind them once again of who he is. And in verses 1 to 4, we see that God will refine his people. God's answer to their question is literally in that first part, Behold, I send. The, the, The Hebrew literally means, I'm right here. I'm right here, and I'm sending my messenger. And who is this messenger? The New Testament tells us that this New Testament, new, this messenger, sorry, is John the Baptist. And he will prepare a way. He will clear the obstacles from the road that will allow for God to, to bring spiritual renewal to his people. As the messenger of the covenant comes, we know that this is Jesus Christ himself. He will come, and he will begin to work amongst his people. But verse 2 comes along and it has this question, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can? And the answer is is that no one. No one is able to withstand the day of the messenger's coming. And because of that, the messenger will come. And as we see in the latter part of verse 2, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, And he will set as a refiner and purifier silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. He will come like a refiner's fire who will refine silver. Silver is actually more difficult to refine than gold. But as a fuller soap, he will be like the the laundry mats of the ancient days. You'd use these harsh alkaline chemicals to take out stains out of clothing. They would burn skin. But God would come, this messenger will come, and he will refine his people, and he will make them clean. 
God's answer to the question of where is the God of justice is, is I'm right here. And, and God is, is present and ready to act. And he is coming. The God of justice will very soon arrive at his place, at his palace in Jerusalem, ready to dispense his judgment once the way has been prepared by the prophetic forerunner. The Lord will send his personal envoy, the angel of the covenant, to sit on his throne and enact justice. That event in which the Lord would return for judgment was what the people in Malachi's day were waiting for. They were seeking for this day. They were crying out to God for this day. Lord Jesus, come quickly. They claimed that their greatest desire was for the Lord's envoy to come and to set the world straight. But we need to be careful what we wish for. If you remember the movie, A Few Good Men, you can picture the scene of Tom Cruise cross-examining Nicholas, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. Cruise is, is pushing and pushing and pushing because he wants him to address, he wants Jack Nicholson to address how the hazing of a, a Marine recruit led to his death. And near the end of that cross-examination, Tom Cruise, he shouts out, I want the truth! And Jack, Jack Nicholson explodes back at, at him and says, you can't handle the truth. See, that's our problem as well. On one hand, we want justice. We really want everything to be set straight. We are crying out very similarly to what we see in verse 17. We want God's justice. But the question comes in verse 2, who could withstand his justice. When we look at the word justice, another word for complete justice in the Bible is judgment day. When God comes and sends his messenger of the covenant to, to enact justice upon all those who rebel against him, this is judgment day. This is a complete justice. This isn't some old-fashioned happy ending justice. It means equal and comprehensive judgment for all without partiality for any. And when we look at God's holiness, none of us are innocent. Which is why before God comes and judges in verse 5, he purifies his people so that they are not caught up in the judgment of verse 5. See, without God purifying his people, the question still stands, who can endure his coming? And the answer is no one. If I come before a holy God standing on my own merit, on my own works, I can't, I don't have a leg to stand on. I need a Lord and a Savior who's going to come and intervene into my life and change me. But God will come and judge all unrighteousness, as verse 3 says. It's only after God purifies his people through the coming of the messenger that he moves to judge the sins of every other person who has rejected him. In verse 5, we see that then... I will draw near to you for judgment. And once God has refined his people, God executes justice on those who have rebelled against him. This isn't some sort of distant 
place missile strike type of justice. This is an up close and personal justice that God is going to pour out on all who rebel against him. The people won't be asking about where God's justice is anymore as he judges crimes from false worship to sexual sins to oppression of the poor. See, when the Lord comes, he will judge all kinds of sin. God lists just seven specific sins, but they actually represent the whole Mosaic law. The law of God is the standard by which we are all judged, and not one of us is innocent of not breaking any part of that law. None of us can stand against us. We're all guilty of it. And when we look at our sins, we have a list of those that we find are worse than others, right? We think that uh, that sin up there, you know, is worse than, let's say, I don't know, stealing a cookie. Usually the ones that we think are important sins are the ones that other people have committed. For example... How dare those people loot all of those poor shops? That is so wrong. How about the bigotry that is in your own heart towards the very image of God? And it can be flipped around very much the same too. The Lord judges both the private immoral and the public immoral. God judges all sin, and that's exactly what verse 5 is saying. All sin, regardless of how we feel it might be small or not as important as another sin, will be judged. God is holy. His primary characteristic is his holiness, and everything else flows out of that. His love, his grace, his mercy, his wrath, his judgment, all flows out of his holiness. So we usually have, we usually have this list of sins where we think there are more important sins than others. But then we're faced with the reality of what God says here, that God will judge all sins. Again, in the crying out for justice, who can withstand God's, God's justice? And the answer is no one. Emphatically, none. Not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we cry out, God, I, where are you? We want justice. Can we handle the truth? So let's go back to verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Why does God allow evildoers to prosper? If God is just, he should do something about all the injustice and give them what they deserve. How dare they? We say, ignoring the black sin that is in our own hearts. God comes along through these verses and gives us a warning that we need to hear. God's judgment is a coming against all kinds of sin. You 
Yet who can endure the day of his coming? Strict justice would condemn us all. See, the good news comes from Jacob's personal, uh, personal experience with God when we see in verse 6. I love verse 6 this for, because it says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. you, you got to love this. you got to reflect upon this. And I look forward to looking at that more deeply later. For I, the Lord, do not change. See, Jacob couldn't have survived justice. It would have destroyed him. It, it destroys you and would destroy me. Instead, Jacob receives God's grace because God has chosen, chosen him in the beginning. Remember that all that is written in the introduction is where the context is hold. Remember, I have loved you, in verse 2 it says, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. The sovereign, unchanging love. We, too, are a fickle and unfaithful people. We are undeserving of God's love. Undeserving. But God remains faithful. God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2, 12 to 13. See, the, the refiner's fire purifies us because it first burned Jesus. The, the launderer's soap, the fuller's soap, washes us clean because it painfully stung. This painful sting was borne by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Only when we understand that can we truly rejoice to see Holy Jesus coming to take possession of his temple. So the question is this. Who could withstand the return? None. None. Only those who rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for me and for you only because he has absorbed God's wrath that was meant for me, only because God sees me through Christ's righteousness, because Christ's righteousness was imputed upon me, because Christ was my propitiation, because of the grace and the mercy of God himself, can I endure what is to come. So I cry out, Lord Jesus, come quickly. God, bring your justice. But may that remind me of what God has done for me. So what? It is in Jesus Christ that God works out ultimate justice for his discouraged people and judgment on those who do not fear him. 
See, on one level, we need to understand this. On one level, we don't have a complete answer to the continuing problem of evil and injustice or why bad things happen to good people. We don't know. God doesn't give us the information to satisfy all of our philosophical questions. He is God. I am not. His wisdom is far greater than mine. His goodness is greater. But when I look at this passage in Malachi, it brings home the question personally to each of us. What is the solution to the problem of evil and injustice in our lives? If justice requires that bad things must happen to good people, on what do we base our own hope to stand before the judge of all earth when he comes? Because we're all bad people. And when we think about that, that changes how we pray. God, will you bring salvation to all those who are rioting and looting? God, may you bring salvation to the man who murdered George and all of those other officers who stood in that place. God, may you bring salvation. Because look at what you have done for me. God, call these people to yourself. John Piper wrote an amazing prayer, praying the same things. God, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But Lord, please call these people to yourself so that they may not endure your judgment, but may understand the same grace and the mercy that I do and have been, that you have poured out on me. See, if justice requires that bad things must happen to bad people, on what do I base my hope to stand before the judge of all the earth when he comes? There is only one answer to the problem of our personal evil, and it's found in Jesus. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Whenever we take part in, in that, the, the, the elements that are laid out in front of us, God's answer that the Son of God was bruised for our transgressions. His blood was poured out for our iniquities. Because of that death in our place, we can look forward to the joy of Jesus' second coming. Because of the Holy Spirit work in my life, in, my, in your life, in our messed up sinful lives, we can know a measure of real progress and victory over sin in our lives in the present. And we can look forward to the day when we will die and stand in the presence of our holy God because God sees us through Christ's righteousness and not our own. Because Christ has absorbed all the wrath that was meant for us. And what a wonderful, wonderful day that will be. Turn to the Lord then. While there is still time, 
Come to him and repent of your sin and of your self-righteousness. Trust in the complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in which the wrath of God that we deserve was poured out fully on him. Look to the perfect righteousness of Christ that is given to clothe our nakedness before a holy God. Rejoice in his unchanging goodness and grace and in his faithfulness to his promise to save his people from their sins. Rejoice and respond by walking increasingly in step with his spirits in the new life of obedience and service. It is in Jesus Christ that God works out ultimate justice for his dis discouraged people and judgment on those who do not fear him. Let us pray. Father God, we come to continue to worship you in light of what you have done for us. Lord, when we cry out for justice, Lord, may we see your sovereign hand at work. Lord, may we cry out for justice in light of what you have done for us. Lord, I, I just pray for our world. I pray for us as a church that we would be shining lights for you in this dark, dark world that we would be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would boldly proclaim the goodness of Christ, that Christ died for our sins and rose again. Lord, we live in a world that not only is in a pandemic, but is also suffering from so much civil unrest because of so much injustice in this world. So Lord, we pray that we would be a light in this world. And Lord, we pray for both sides. Lord, we pray for those who are hurting because of the injustice that has been done to them for hundreds of years. Lord, I pray for us who do not understand that we would listen, that we would hear, that we would cry for justice. But Lord, we also pray for those others that we seem to forget about. As Lord, we pray for those in law enforcement. Lord, we God, I pray for them. I pray that you would protect them, that you would keep them, that you would give them wisdom. But God, in all of this, we rest in you, knowing that you indeed are a God of justice. But the reality is, is that no one could endure your coming. So we thank you for what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we go out and may we interact with one another. May we interact with those may, that we may disagree with. Lord, may we interact with one another in light of that. May we declare that boldly to those around us that Christ has died for our sins and rose again. And amen.